Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Workweek, which is May 13th to 17th of this year, 2019. Promotional Products Workweek is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May 13th to the 17th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Work Week. For more information, check out ppai.org forward slash events. Thank you so much. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and SportTech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. Hi, welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. Today, it's Kate Plummer, and I'm interviewing Daryl Cook, Director of Expeditions from PPAI, and I'm joined here with our other Promo Kitchen chef, Bill Petrie. Welcome, everyone. Howdy, howdy. So, Daryl, Director of Expeditions, can you explain what that is, what your role is at PPAI for us? Sure. So, I'm responsible for the production of Expo and Expo East, and then our department also assist PPA on our standalone events like North American Leadership Conference and Women's Leadership Conference and those things like that. We offer meeting planning services. So we, in a sense, act like an agency, if you will. Got it. Okay. So the reason we have you on today is we just finished Expo, or it felt like we just finished it and it was over a month ago. (laughs) But so much happened there this year that was totally fascinating to me. So I really wanted to dig deep. So I was like, who can I talk to? And I have so many questions. So Bill and I also both have so many questions. So we just kind of wanted to cover them with you. Brace yourself, everyone. Oh my. Oh my. (laughs) You printed out our sheets. There we go. (laughs) It's Um, the only time I prepare. That's that's it. (laughs) There's there's your preparation. So don't forget what to ask. We're all set on this one. Yeah. Normally it's like, you know, go on the fly. I'm like, no, I have questions now. Well well, that's typically how Bill and I interact, right? It's on the fly. (laughs) <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Hey, you know what? It usually works. So why not? So yeah, so there was a lot that happened this year at Expo and we kind of want to dig deep on all of it. So can you explain what you did at Expo this year that was new? Yeah. So 
each year we'd find something different to do. And some years it means new, it may be a new event, a new product, so to speak, some vast improvement in a look of something. Other years it might be just changing locations of things. Because what we end up with, something like Expo that, you know, the industry has been around for, in essence, 100 years plus, you know, sometimes they can become robotic and they do the same things every year. So what we always try to do is change things up enough, as we like to say around here, get their head up. We want them looking up and looking around and finding all the new things that are going on rather than just going to the same place, same time every year. So with that said, we have been focusing on the experience piece for the last couple of years. And the reason we do that is because at the end of the day, as we all know in this industry, there are days and days and days and days of trade shows, conferences, meetings, supplier presentations, distributor presentations. It just goes on and on and on. So in order to differentiate ourselves, we feel like we are best by serving on the experience side. We have all the product there, or we have a lot of product there, that's for sure. But ultimately, we go by this. A 10D justifies for going to the show for what I call the stuff, the product. They choose to go because of the experience. So because of that, then we have to really focus on the experience part and make it different than they can get anywhere else. Yeah, no, that it's so true that the trend on everything right now is moving towards experience. And you have to make it, you know, for the expense of Vegas and the expense of everything else, like what draws that person there? And it can't just be because it's there or because it's what we've always done. You have to keep growing with it. And you guys did a great job this year by what I noticed was really embracing technology for it. So you had Bob from PBI was telling me about like how you did heat maps and message alerts. So like when there was a cold area, you would sort of call people in. Can you explain that? Yeah. So again, this is also an initiative we've been working on for the last couple of years and utilizing technology to improve the experience. So each distributor that registers and goes on the show floor has a beacon on their badge. I always have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to alarm anybody, but we track their activities on the show floor only. Okay. So nowhere else. Yeah. So everybody um, who worries about Daryl tracking you when you go to eye candy. <laughs> not. He knows. No, no, outside of my eyeballs being there myself, right? But outside of that, no, we're not tracking you. So yeah, so we track everybody's moving on the show floor. And what it does is it starts to reveal a little bit of information about that distributor. For over all these years, PPAI, of course, our memberships are company-based. They're not an individual-based. So our ability to know the actual members themselves has been somewhat limited. So what we did is these last in our third year now, focused on trying to find out as much as we could about the individual. And by doing that, follow them around. Who do they like to stop by? How much time are they spending on the floor? Where are they spending that time on? So forth. And then once we know those things, then we can help improve their experience. So what we do is we track them. There's any number of different ways we can interact with them. The three main pieces that we do is one is try to even out the traffic on the show floor so that all our suppliers are seeing benefit. You know, hall like we have, and even the shape of the hall being kind of an L, if you will, it can get somewhat wonky. And with the size of the boost changing, you might get, I won't say get lost, but you may skip an aisle unbeknownst because you went in one big booth and you came out a different, and that sent you over a couple aisles or whatever that might have been. So what we try to do is we try to monitor that. And then by either offering some kind of incentives or just pure, you know, advertising, quite honestly, Hey, make sure you think about going over here. The other ways we do that too is by asking on the registration when they register 
some demographic questions. The main ones being, what products are you looking for? What they answer us with that, and then what we do is we bounce that against what they're actually doing on the show floor. And if we see some holes, we can do remind them, hey, don't forget to go see these types of suppliers over in these booths that match what you were looking for before. Or simply, you're almost finished with your list. You only have a couple more to go. Here are the last few that you said you were interested in. Things like that. At the end of the day, those are really the two biggest things we try to do to help that experience. And you know, a lot of the comments we get about Expo is it's big, it's daunting, it's hard to figure it all out. So we can do these subtle things to help them make sure they get around the floor, then we've been successful. That is kind of creepy. Like that level Super of- creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that my generation is kind of used to that. And then, you know, you only have to watch a few episodes of CSI Vegas to know that you're being watched everywhere. And everywhere, yeah. So, but that's really fascinating how like a distributor can actually incorporate pre-planning into it and not realize like how effective that pre-planning would have been. Like, yeah, I need to look for awards. I need to look for t-shirts. I need to look for this. And then you could be like, hey, you got to go get this booth over there. So. That's really cool, but still really freaky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we certainly were trying to be respectful in all cases. And of course, the distributor can opt out. They can choose not to have the beacon. And we don't have any pushback on that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we, it's been interesting. We haven't had anybody say that, you know, like, this is too weird. I don't want you following me. We really haven't had that as any kind of issues. If anything, they've now started, we find that they're kind of depending on it post-show. Mm-hmm. To remind them, hey, I forgot where I went with this, or I forgot where that particular supplier was, or the name, or whatever that might be. Can you send me my journey map, which we do post-show. We send journey maps out to let you incorporate, you know, this is who you saw on the show floor. This is who you actually got scanned by on the show floor. These are the sessions you went to, all those kind of things like that. But they'll say, hey, I need that journey map quickly because I forgot this, and that will help me remember who that was. So they've actually really pretty much embraced it. Yeah, I think you guys have done a great job at PPAI, really educating people. I remember three years ago when you first had, I think, I don't know if they're called beacons back then. Right. They just kind of showed up and everybody was like, whoa, back off. And I know you got a little bit of blowback, but you guys have done such a great job communicating, hey, here's the reason why and here's how it's beneficial to you, Mr. and Mrs. Distributor. I think it's been great. I want to talk about the pop-ups. I thought those were beyond genius. I'm a little disappointed that the chocolate covered bacon one didn't show up in front of the promo corner booth, but we can talk about that <laughs> offline. Yeah, well, you know, that's right. That's there, right. There's, there's <laughs> always there sponsorship was, opportunities down the road, you know? Maybe there was so much traffic at the promo corner booth. We didn't need to pop. <laughs> I don't know. But you had some great pop-ups utilizing the technology of the heat map, utilizing the beacons to, like you said, and I love the phrase you use, even out the show floor a little bit and get distributors, attendees, to places where maybe there weren't people. Tell me how those came about. And I'd love to know how you kind of decided what the pop-ups were. I'm almost more fascinated with what the pop-ups were than the actual process, but I'd I'd love to hear both. Well, it's kind of like the KFC recipe. I I can't tell you. Um, No, I'm just joking, of course. Please. And why are we doing this podcast? (laughs) No, you know what? It's really, you know, I'd love to say there's a whole bunch of science behind and everything like that, but there really wasn't that much. What we were trying to do is how do we can do some engagements on the show floor outside of the pure attendee exhibitor engagement, right? That's the obvious one, and that's the one that certainly takes place the most. But if you remember back, Bill, and, and maybe even you, Kate, as well, back several years ago when we had Tony Shea, and he talks about collisions, right? 
And so that's kind of the basis for what we were thinking about is how can we cause more collisions? And I had seen the idea of, I think we've all seen the idea of pop-ups generally, you know, food trucks are notorious for doing that, right? They just kind of pop up somewhere and they'll do social media alerts and say, hey, we're here now, come and see us and those kind of things. So we just basically borrowed that idea and said, well, we do some pop-ups and we don't pre-market it. It's kind of a surprise. There's a little bit of intrigue in it, generates a little bit more interest in it first. And then if we get the right kind of product in there or the right kind of interaction in there, then that really is just going to add to it. So that's where the art part comes in. And then we we found the foods that we like (laughs) and the stuff that sounded kind of cool and fun and tried to get them to where they would be more what I call interactive or engaging. In other words, more than just walking by and getting a piece of chocolate covered bacon, if you will, you know, the smells of it and a little bit of waiting in line as they're getting it and having that interaction with the other people in line. And then subsequently when they walk out of there, the booths that are around there and all those things like that. If you watch the rolled ice cream, it was kind of a show, if you will, how the guy was doing it. He was kind of putting on a show. So that's really kind of how we came about for the food items. We didn't want it all about food, even though that's nothing wrong with that, of course. So then the idea of we had a game area that we looked at. We had characters that were doing character drawings. We had magicians walking around. We had a few other things. And then, of course, the hit of hit, everybody loves puppies. So the puppies showed up. And and really, again, how that came about was they have done things like that and other totally non-relevant to our industry whatsoever, and really not even the trade show industry. I had seen people doing adoption type things as kind of more of a fundraiser, more as a charitable type of piece of whatever the event type thing they were doing. So what we thought about is like, well, again, who doesn't like puppies? And if we do it, again, just generate a little bit of different engagement, a little different thought about, hey, when I went to the show, I got to do this, then maybe we'd have a hit. You know, it could have gone the other way. People could have said, you know, puppies have nothing to do with what I'm doing on the show floor. I can't sell a puppy any kind of promotional product. And, you know, it could have gone that way. Thank goodness it didn't. We were pretty confident it wouldn't go that way, that's for sure, or we wouldn't have probably taken that risk. So, yeah, that's how those all came about. And around here, we talk about Cheesecake Factory. So, if you've ever been to the restaurant Cheesecake Factory, right? Their menu's outrageous. It's it's like 15 pages long. Yeah. And generally, or at least for me anyway, when I've tried any number of different things as I've gone there over the years, it was all pretty good, right? They were able to be Cajun on one side and Mexican on the other and Italian and, you know, all these kind of mixes and do them well. So that's what we talk about Expo being. We want to be the cheesecake factory. We want to have this menu of things that you can do and you can pick and choose those as you want your experience to be. And as long as we're good at all of them, then we've accomplished something different than anybody else can do. Yeah. It was so smart because like we talk a lot about for promotional products being that you have to surprise and delight. And the pop-up has really incorporated that idea that they were surprised, they were delightful, puppies were especially delightful. But it was also that idea of what's happening now is the scope of it, what got shared on social media or the way people were talking about it, or even like people beforehand were talking about it being like, did you know there's going to be puppies? Did you know there's going to be ice cream? Without knowing anything about it. So you're right. It really captured that idea of like the experience of people kind of sharing it and being like, okay, what did you miss by not being at Expo this year? So I have a question in the logistics of that. Is that something that they actually helped you with? Or did you source within the local area? Like whose job was it to find puppies to bring in? Whose job was it to find chocolate covered bacon? (laughs) 
some great staff members of mine, trust me. Yeah, no, so we did it all in-house. We came up with the menu. Of course, we worked with Manley Bay because they don't like us going outside the building, so to speak. So we certainly worked with them, and they were able to source some the various things in terms of the food, the games and the characters and all those other things. You know, Vegas is a great entertainment city, so it's easy to find that kind of entertainment. And then the puppies, we searched for a kind of a different type. They're an adoption agency is what they are, but we wanted to do something a little different, somebody that had a little different purpose to it. And we happened to find this lady that runs this company, if you will, or runs this service with these puppies. And they do, they focus on puppies. They don't focus so much on grown dogs. They really are about the puppies. And we thought that was unique. And actually, we missed the boat a little bit because we should have recognized the ability for her to be able to fundraise too and be able to support. We missed a little bit on that. If we would have had that element there too. I think we could have you know, added another piece to the pie, if you will. And we'll certainly do that moving forward. It's no secret, of course, we'll end up having to have puppies again next year. And we'll, <laughs> we'll probably do them a little differently too. They won't be, one, they won't be a surprise. And two, they won't really be a pop-up. We'll probably have the puppy pound or something like that. Something that, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the show, so to speak. And a couple hours in the morning, maybe a couple hours in the afternoon, something like that, that people can use it. And then it allows for any of our supplier companies that are in the pet product piece of the business, if you will, to allow to be engaged and involved with it as well. But we'll have to come up as we talk about around here too now. So that we have puppies, now we got to figure out what other animal we can bring. And we'll just leave it at that for now, huh? Yeah, I'd probably not do a snake pit. Just yeah, <laughs> I feel like if you bring in llamas, it's just going to go south on you. So yeah. stick with puppies. <laughs> so what was yeah, your exactly all the pop-ups that was going on? What was the one that you're like, we better have chocolate-covered bacon, we better have ice cream? It was interesting because it ended up, one, it was because it was the first one, but too, because it was probably the most different one. It was the bacon. And if you were around those areas, you could smell it. I mean, it was one of those great smells too, that mm-hmm. just permeates everywhere. And, and we had as many people. So we did alerts. We didn't send alerts to everybody. We had focus groups, if you will, that we were looking to move people in those particular areas. But if you were anywhere near it, you smelled it, right? And then that just sends you off searching for what's going on over here kind of thing. Right. And Obviously, we had a lot of walk-ups that way, too. So that was probably my favorite because that's what kicked it off. And that's what then got everybody's interest really peaked for the next two days. Like, okay, well, what else is it going to be? What else are they going to be able to do? How can you even top this? And I know the world ice cream went great. The nitro coffee went great. Meatballs, eh. You know, pizza, eh. But we'll be able to be creative again next year and figure out something a little different, a little new. So we're talking about using technology, right, to implement and drive people. And, and I love that. But we also know, especially in this industry, people historically fear technology. They fear change. They fear just about anything other than what we've always done before. How has your communication plan shifted? Because you, you have to factor that in. You know, you have a, a basically a target audience that is resistant to change. How does that impact your communication plan as you're trying to do things that are very next generation, quite frankly? Yeah. So it's a multi-year plan. So, you know, three years ago when we started this, it was part of the plan to communicate the way we did because, you know, we certainly weren't going to hide it, but not really knowing how well it was going to be received and quite honestly, what information we were really going to be able to get out of it and use. I don't want to say we stuck it in there, but we put it on there and then let's see what happens. And then the next year we said, okay, well, yes, we do this and this is how it's helpful. So this is how we can help you. So we communicated that up front. And then last year, post-show, is when we sent out the journey maps. So what we did is, you know, we took their activity and sent that to them in a pretty cool PDF, if you will. 
that was a bit of an infographic type interaction. And the remarks we got back were off the chart. They immediately latched onto it. They immediately accepted it, immediately liked it. They wanted more even. We then subsequently sent another one out that followed up that was more of a gamification side of it. So, you know, you walk this many miles, you saw this many booths, and this is how you ranked with the other top performers at the show. And you kind of start giving that piece of it. And we all know how people like to get their badges and all those things and those gamification things. A bunch so of really, it, were very yeah. competitive. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. And it kind of just, it was almost a grassroots. We didn't have to get so over the top and very obvious out front saying, look, send out 15 emails and 10 marketing pieces. And in every speech we did, we had to talk about this. We could bring it up where appropriate and we could remind them about the way to work the show. Here's why it's important to get some information up front so that we can help you while you get on site. And really, Bill, at the end of the day, that's how we've done it. And again, moving forward, we'll just keep reminding them, be really good about how you tell us up front what you want your experience to be, and we'll help you figure that out on site. Yeah, I think that's the key, that upfront communication and then the what's in it for me. Again, being on the, the service provider side, so closer to a supplier than a distributor, most certainly. I didn't even know you provided kind of the maps of what people did from a distributor perspective, how they walk the show. So I think that's really cool. And the great thing is, you know, the suppliers get a big upside on this too, because now they can look, you know, in the past, they just had hook scanned, right? And they had a perception of how the rest of the show went. They thought they saw this amount of people and this and that. But now they also get a dashboard that very specifically tells them who scanned. It also gives them who, what we call dwelled in front of their booth. So if somebody spent more than two minutes in front of a booth, that's captured. And they get to see that number and they get to see a profile. They don't get to see the individual mm-hmm. because we still want to maintain that relationship that that distributor said, for whatever reason, I didn't want to get scanned. And you know, we always want to make sure we respect all those kind of things. But at least they get a profile so they know the type of distributor that came by and then engage with them in the booth. It could be any number of different reasons. They could have each decided not to scan. But more than likely, there's some combination of they missed that opportunity, right? They didn't get a chance to engage with that distributor. So now they can look and see, do they have enough salespeople there? Is a booth space the right kind of space based on the traffic I'm getting? They can now then really gauge their show and know that they're being right sizes, we call it, and right staffed so they get the most out of the show. Yeah. Yeah, there was even the ability to sort of say, like, this is a company that I want to speak to. If someone's nearby, you get an alert right. for it, which, again, That's creepy, right. but so helpful if you're just like, these are the people that I need to see and make sure that, you know, your sales reps know that they're a priority for it. So, or just be like, when my friend's close, let me know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. So I did an education session with Paul Bellaton recently. And he talked about how they have this initiative within PPI called this is stupid. Why do we do this? And it's the idea of like, you know, not just accepting, we've always done this as a reason to keep doing something. And so what is your, this is stupid. Why do we do this? Like, it doesn't even have to be from this year. Cause I think you told me that you don't have any of those. You know, for me, it's because I guess I, we call it technology, but whether it's phone apps and all these other things, right? We're so involved in getting immediate information and being able to immediately do things. I don't understand why somebody in this particular show, even in pretty much any trade show, why they would come on site and not already have been registered. 
so the why do we keep doing this is why do we even have on-site registration and take up all that space and quite honestly dollars and time when there probably is literally three people out there in the world that wouldn't be able to pre-register somewhere somehow and so those lines don't exist for somebody to come on site and register that is about a six to eight minute process for you to already have had your badge code with you it's 11 seconds to scan the badge and get a badge now maybe the lines are you know various times or whatever but it's just an enormous amount of time saved by going pre-show and doing all those activities so you know, I'm, I'm seriously trying to figure out how can I get rid of on-site reg and, you know, maybe put some kiosk and people can use a computer, but I don't want to have to on-site register anybody anymore. I want them to all be ready to go and walk up, scan a badge and go. Much like at the airport, right? Very few people walk up to try to buy a ticket at the airport. They've already bought their ticket somehow. Yeah. There's no last minute decision to go to Expo and where you haven't exactly. done a bit of the work beforehand. I, I thought Although, you were going to say there's no last minute decision to go to Akron for some reason. Like, man, no, one, no <laughs> one's going to Akron. <laughs> yeah. There's a last minute yeah, no decision doubt. to go to Vegas and they don't there are. well, but <laughs> no. <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> well, the, you know, if, if we were playing the hangover, it might've been a last minute conversation <laughs> to go to Expo, right? You never know. There you go. You know, there's a story out there in this industry. <laughs> oh boy. I'm sure there are. So yeah. this happened to me. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So what feedback did you get? Like, because you've talked about feedback being really important. And, and so what feedback did you get in 2018 that you've implemented for 2019? And what feedback did you get that really struck you this year that you think you're going to implement for 2020? Because we know you're already thinking that far ahead. Sure. So one of the things that has been over the years, it's kind of been a slow build, so to speak. Quite honestly, is the show hours. It's a debate back and forth. Suppliers feel like the show's too long. There's too many hours. Distributors say when we do post-shower surveys and so on, there's not enough time. But here's again where technology helped us, right? So being able to see how much time is being you know, on the show floor by the distributors and what times they are, then we could scientifically go back and say, yes, we know that activity after five o'clock is pretty non-existent. And we know there are tons of people there very early in the morning because most of them are coming Midwest or East Coast, or obviously the hours change and all those things. So let's shift the show hours. Let's shift them 30 minutes earlier, but get out 30 minutes earlier as well. That was a huge hit. It really made a big difference for the supplier, especially on Thursday when we cut the show till two o'clock. A lot of them that had trouble making flights could still make the flights and get out and not have that added expense of another night. It didn't affect attendance whatsoever. We didn't see any less attendance on Thursday than we would have had if it were to three o'clock. They were there till two o'clock as they would have been if they would have been there at three o'clock. So really it was a benefit for all the way around. So that's one of the big ones. And then when we introduced the beacon technology, we were struggling with figuring out how we can make it work for the exhibitors or not how we can make it work, but how we could let them know. So that was a big thing was the dashboard. We bought the dashboard for all our exhibitors. We paid for that expense to be able to design that and make that available to all of them. Those are the, probably the two biggest things that we did this year. And as far as moving forward, you know, I don't have the final results from our post-show survey yet. So there's something that usually bubbles up from that that we want to take into account. You know, I think for us, the continued, relative to the pop-ups, relative to the journey maps and all those things like that, there seems to be a bigger interest in how can you directly, me personally, help me plan my show better. And being able to do that for 20,000 people, because not only is it the distributors, it's also the suppliers that we want to be able to take care of too. 
So we'll put a lot of effort in thinking about how we can even improve that interaction and make sure that they're as prepared as they can be when they get there. Yeah, so this actually goes into like a side discussion I have with Cherry Gibson a lot is about where does the onus land for success on trade shows? Is it because like a lot of people will be like, oh, well, suppliers can go, distributors need to show up for this. And and then distributors go, well, suppliers need to be there. They need to promote it more. And and then, you, you know, I've been to trade shows where you can complain about the exhibitor as well. And so where do you think the onus lies and where do you think the most success of someone's push lies? What do you think works the best? Or what do you wish would work the best? For me, it's very simple. I look at it this way. It's our job to get the attendees to the front door. It's the exhibitor's job to get them to their booth. I can't, you know, as best I can try, and, and we have been a little bit, is to get them to their individual booths. We can't market 1,250 companies independently, right? They have to be able to have the ability to do that. Our job is to get them to the front door And then subsequent to that, it's also our job to make sure that we try to get the floor evened out as best we can, right? We don't want hidden behind pillars and holes and where we're not driving that traffic because that's not an exhibitor's challenge because the design of the hall or the design of how we laid the booths out. That's not their particular challenge. That's ours. So our job is get them front door and then try to get them as evened out. And after that, it's really up to the suppliers because I think at the end of the day, that's where we hear the most challenges. We don't hear the challenges of the distributors or attendees saying, I couldn't find this, whatever this might be. In some cases, it's a product. In other cases, it's a particular supplier. Because literally with the tools we provide them, either through Sage Mobile and being able to search on site and have maps that come up and say, okay, this is where I'm at and this is where I need to go and all those interactive tools like that. For a distributor, it would be, you know, and if they're not engaging with those, then maybe they would have that problem. But if they engage with those opportunities, then they should be taken pretty well care of. Suppliers are a little different story. They got a lot more work to do, and we try to work with them as much as we can on that. So, yeah, my job to get them to the door and get them spread. It's suppliers' job to get them to the booth. It's a lot of work. Like, so much planning goes into trade shows. And I always find it very interesting because, like, when I even explain to my staff that don't do trade shows about what it actually encompasses and they just kind of blows your mind because it's not just what's on the show floor. It's what's afterwards. It's, you know, your follow-up afterwards is just as important. So yeah, no, it's very interesting that way. I was just going to say real quick, it's interesting. People think of trade shows as a different animal altogether. And it's really not too different than what we do on a, on a daily basis. Either go to the grocery store or go to some retail store. They have the same challenges, right? How they lay grocery stores out become very scientific and where to put the bread and the butter, and they try to do all those kind of you know, mind games, so to speak, in terms of getting you to travel. We do the same things. You know, I pay attention to retail industries and, and all those things and how they move traffic throughout the show and how they interact with our customers. We're really not that much different. I love the science behind like, where things go. Like, there was this one study that came where for retail stores that if people walked in and, and the table was low enough that it hit like, their hip, like it hit their butt and their hip, they would immediately be turned off and leave the store. So all they did in this one store was raise the tables up higher and the amount of time people spent in the store increased by like 10 minutes. Like it was that much of a subtle thing. And there's so much psychology that goes behind like, you know, just trade shows and trade show floors and stores and everything else. And yeah, it's an interesting world out there. You, you forget how much your mind actually takes over on things. No doubt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So this year, attendance was up. So 
like with all consolidations and you know business growth and everything else where do you think the growth is coming from like do you think there's a market that's coming in or do you think our industry is just growing larger or what do you think can you like attribute this to anything yeah sure there's probably i guess three main reasons we believe anyway so one is obviously the economy is doing fairly well thus the industry is doing pretty well we see consistent growth year to year on annual sales so that's a good base to start with obviously that makes a big help in our particular case too again over a probably a three to five year cycle. We really invested a lot in the product so we can continue to improve the product, whether it's in the technology or any other areas. The investment in that has starting to pay off. We're starting to see dividends in that. And then I would say, as it relates to the mergers and acquisitions, on the supplier side, it's certainly been a challenge. You know, we've, you know, over the last probably three years or so, have lost 50 companies or so that have been M&A'd. And it's been a real struggle for us to maintain that footprint. We, now we've been fairly successful in being able to do that. But if you think about if there's one major acquisition that took 20 boosts, it typically takes us 10 companies to replace that one company in floor space. So we've been challenged on that, but to date have been able to work through that. Interesting on the other side, on the distributor side, it's actually a boom for us because and especially this year, what we saw is there was so much activity in the last quarter that it looked like a lot of those large groups wanted to use the expo as kind of the first time to get everybody together and get them all in the same room, so to speak. So for that, that helped us. Another major coup for us was getting Bob Stoltz coming in and being in charge of running our what we call our debt program, our large distributor incentive program, in order for them to run their sales meetings and, and training and all those things like that. Of course, everybody knows Bob. He knows everybody and he has relationships with everybody. He's very well respected. And he did an outstanding job for us, grew it by 25% over previous years. So along with some very good marketing and in Bob's efforts, we had a real growth of over a thousand new people coming to the show that we hadn't had before. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. That's spectacular. So like what services do you offer to distributors like outside of the show floor? Like what does Bob sort of offer to them? So a lot of it is for them, assistance in them running their sales meetings, if you will. So when they come in, a lot of them on, say, Monday will come in and do sales meetings. So they'll get all their sales folks together. They'll do a sales meeting slash training, product introduction. It might be some suppliers do the same thing. They'll come in on Mondays and they'll set up their key accounts and they'll come in early and do some of those things like that. So what Bob works with them on is just simple services like working on getting their meeting space taken care of. They have the AV that they need in the room, any kind of catering. He assists in that, getting hotel rooms for everybody. Just a key account manager, basically, at the end of the day is what he does. Very interesting. See, I didn't even know that. So it's even, it's even more fascinating that way of like, you know, you're not just like, we put in a floor, we give you some tech and we go from there. Like you're looking at the whole week as an event and everything that you plan. So yes. what defines a successful expo for you? Like what for you is like, okay, if we just get this, like, do you look at the numbers? Do you look at the feedback? Like, where is your win? Smiles. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm at the close of the show on Tuesday and Wednesdays particularly, and I see a lot of smiles and I know that we've done our work, absolutely numbers mean something. Sure, everybody makes decisions based on numbers and based on opportunities. So, of course, we have to be able to get attendance there and drive those numbers up. One supplier success 
may be only that I saw three customers they hadn't seen before and they think they're going to turn into some major business and they're thrilled, right? The other ones that needs, you know, they, they saw a hundred of their customers, whatever it might be, kind of in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. But as long as I know they're walking out with smiles and generally we've gotten good numbers, then we've done a good job. And, and then it, the other aspect of that too is on the operation side, right? We didn't have complaints. We didn't have any hiccups. We were smooth run. Lines were minimal if they were at all. Those kind of things like that also mean a lot to me too. Awesome. Just got two quick questions for you before we finish up, Daryl. Again, thanks for your time. What's an idea you'd like to implement that you've had that maybe you haven't been able to? Maybe it's been internal pushback or budgets or what's like an outlandish idea you've really wanted to implement to take Expo from great to extraordinary? And I know that's always the... the uh, say snake pit. <laughs> well, I'm going to suggest next year they. I'm going to suggest next year they have Petrie's penguins. Yeah, oh, nice! You never know. You never know. You know, I don't know that there's any crazy ideas. What I really like to see happen are the interactive things. So, what I'm going to really, really work hard for next year is, is to incorporate a fashion show back into the event. Obviously, with apparel being as strong as it is, but do it in a different way. Not just have a big stage up there and have a runway and do those kind of things. Again, I don't want to give away too much, but think pop-ups and then think about how that might come across and how you might be able to do some very unique things in that way. You know, sometimes I do find some crazy-ass idea and, and I go to Bob and Paul and they look at me like, "With what are you thinking? <laughs> and yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> but yeah. most of the time, you know what? I, I will say they've supported me in a lot of that. So there's not very, very many, what the heck are you thinking and not been able to do that. That doesn't surprise me, but, but that's still a great answer. So last question. Expo has been in Las Vegas for, I believe, 18 years now. Next year will be 19. Is that correct? Next year, 17. Next year will be 18. Got it. So, and I know there's no plans on moving here because there's really no other place that would get everybody under one roof, for lack of a better term. Let's say Nevada suddenly shut its doors to the trade show industry. Sorry, can't go in anywhere in Nevada, which includes Las Vegas. Where would you want to take Expo? There's some real restrictions that we would have, obviously. First of all, and that the size we are, there's only a handful of buildings in the United States that can handle this anyway. So that certainly starts there, right? The second is we're in January. So we're not going to go to Chicago. We're not going to go anywhere up north where we are very jeopardized by weather. Even in Las Vegas, we deal with weather, not so much in Vegas itself or where people are coming in from. Sure. So we were to double that up and say, be in Chicago in January, we're just asking for trouble, right? Mm -hmm. So then you think of anything, you know, more south, you know, probably because of how much we so rely on the experience piece, you know, probably Anaheim, maybe New Orleans might be the other two that we would seriously look at because then you can create very unique opportunities there and relatively easy to get in and out of, cost effective, if you will. It's not overly expensive. And so those would probably be the two that I would think. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like all these different factors that you have to think about for it. Like I know even up here in Toronto, it's like for PPVC, when we do our shows, it's like we've had them downtown and we've had them close to the airport and there's pluses and minus to each thing. And, and we don't even have to deal with the scope and the scale of Expo. A lot of people think that a trade show can kind of just show up and it happens and it is not that case at all. So yeah. (laughs) 
No, it's not, but that's okay. I don't want them to know that anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is where you're like, I work so hard. I deserve a yeah. raise. Paul doesn't even understand everything that I do. Don't worry, we've got your back. <laughs> yeah, so I can't do that. Paul has been, he was on, he was on our side. He was on the trade show side too. You know, yeah. we, so I can't sneak anything best him like that. Awesome. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for being part of this. I think I could honestly ask you questions all day. And I think that I probably will do that at some point. I'll corner you at the next yeah. expo when you're not looking too harried. But thank you again for coming. And Bill, thank you for being part of this with me. And, and we really appreciate it. And talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed this. Let's do it again. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.